A federal judge in Texas has ruled that a key part of the Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional. Professor Lucy Hodder joins me to discuss what this means for the future of the ACA. This is the UNH Law Podcast. Learn more about the law school and apply by visiting law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire. So, Lucy, what is the case that was brought uh, in front of the U.S. District Court in Texas? Well, the case in front of Judge Reed O'Connor in Texas um, was a case brought by some individuals in Texas who did not want to... Um, purchase insurance and suffer the the mandate. So they challenged the Affordable Care Act, and they basically said this, which is, when the Affordable Care Act was first considered constitutional or not before the Supreme Court of the United States, in the case called NFIB, National uh, Federation of International Businesses versus Sibelius, the court found the ACA was constitutional because the mandate was a legitimate uh, exercise of the tax power. In 2017, what did Congress do? They eliminated the penalty associated with the mandate. So these plaintiffs basically said, hey, no longer a tax, can't be a legitimate exercise of the taxing power. The ACA mandate is unconstitutional. It's intricately associated with the rest of the act. It's all part and parcel of one big effort to um, cover more people with insurance. So the whole thing should fail. And the district court in Texas, the federal court said yes. So that is a fascinating case for a number of reasons. For our health law students, it's a great case because it's a very interesting companion to the NFIB case. And our students dig into that both in constitutional law and health law because it's a very interesting reflection of politics, constitutional law, and um, uh, Affordable Care Act, which is one of the biggest pieces of health care legislation that we've seen since the 1960s in Social Security and Medicare. It's a huge impact on the entire medical industry. I mean, this uh, any payers out there for starters, but then it trickles down to health care providers. Absolutely. It's important for everybody, although I will say there is not many experts who believe that this case is going to go anywhere. It's already up on appeal. A number of attorney generals, um, including many in New England, England, not New Hampshire, but uh, most of the surrounding New England states have challenged um, this decision and have um, are bringing it to the Fifth Circuit on appeal. The federal district court said, you're right, I'm going to stay my ruling. Um, he did not, uh, uh, the, the judge did not issue an injunction uh, to begin with. And so the ruling has been stayed. So right now it has no effect on the Affordable Care Act. Ironically, the decision was issued on December 14th, right on the eve of um, people being able to sign up for the uh, marketplace coverage. So December 15th was the cutoff date for signing up for coverage. Ironically, not that did not seem to affect the number of people signing up. So in the United States, um, for 2019 coverage, about eight and a half million people signed up for marketplace exchange um, products on the individual market. And that's only down about 367,000 from the year before because of the misinformation about whether such insurance was available, whether subsidies are available, and the the very narrowing of the time frame to sign up. A lot of people thought that there'd be a reduction, but there wasn't. New Hampshire, however, there was. Um, we had 50,000 people plus, um, I'm 
signed up for marketplace coverage. And this year it's down to 44,930 who've signed up. So um, again, due to a number of different factors. Um, But back to the case, Um, the attorney general's office have appealed it. It's not uh, affecting the Affordable Care Act right now. And um, last week, the House, with its new Democratic leadership, just got a rule passed that will allow uh, Nancy Pelosi to ask um, general counsel to the House of Representatives to actually change the position that's held by the Department of Justice. So they are going to enter into the fray um, on behalf of uh, the Affordable Care Act in that case. It's an interesting case for any number of reasons. First, it's a great read. Um, It's got a very interesting interpretation of standing uh, for any law student who wants to better understand standing. And what what does standing mean for the non-law student? Well, standing (laughs) is who can bring this case, who can challenge this case. Can somebody who is being uh, not penalized for not purchasing uh, coverage really claim they are injured by the unconstitutionality of what they they see as the mandate. Yeah, this what really made this case stand out to me is someone's not a lawyer is okay, so they're suing over something that they're not going to be punished for and this is a a law that has no teeth to it. There's no way to enforce it because the punishment's been taken away. So that's a very it's very unique in that case. It is very unique and the and the judge again sort of tried to 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 uh Fine standing based on this perception that the individual might have to act in a way that they considered unconstitutional. So in that way, they, uh, the judge found standing and also um, then also did this interesting thing where, where the judge said, because the taxing authority is what um, uh, gave legitimacy to the mandate and the requirement that you get insurance. If there's no penalty, then it couldn't have been the taxing authority that gave rise to that. And so sort of reverse engineers the concept of the constitutionality, which was found in the NFIB case. And then also claims uh, for the first time that the mandate is absolutely integral to the entire act. Yeah, I was really surprised by that. A number of people are making that case that the, Infor- the Affordable Care Act now is just, it's, it's unconstitutional as a whole. How is that the case when just one small part of it is being ruled on? Well, it's interesting. And in our health law class, each one of the students has to summarize one of the amicus briefs that were filed in the NFIB case. And they're all about severability. Because at that time, the issue was if if the mandate is found to be unconstitutional, can you sever it from the act? And those who wanted to find the act unconstitutional said you can't. It all fits together. Those who wanted to find the act constitutional or at least preserve what they could said, no, that portion can be severed. Now, interestingly, if you actually read the Affordable Care, Act. There are huge swaths of it that are about Medicare coverage. It's huge. And saving money under Medicare, you know, transforming insurance coverage, consumer benefits from, from insurance coverage transformation, and also things like updates that have been fought for for 10 years to the Indian Health Service. And other types of issues around wellness programs, et cetera. So there was a whole lot to the Affordable Care Act that has very little to do with the individual mandate. Um, Did that the Supreme said, Court touch on any of that when it was brought up to them? So the Supreme Court didn't have to reach the issue of severability because they found the taxing authority um, gave uh, 
legitimacy to the the individual mandate itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the court did find that the at that time at the NFIB case in 2012 that the um, requirements that state expand Medicaid was coercive. Um, and so they found that they basically said that that remedy of of um, kicking a state out of the Medicaid program if they failed to expand was not no longer available. Um, so but they did not reach the severability question because they found constitutional power to penalize failure to seek coverage and therefore the statute was upheld. What kind of timeline do we have on the appeals? Has anything been determined on that? So I think they're going to be fairly quick. Um, The Fifth Circuit has some interesting precedent. So um, I think most people think that this may go to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. Justice Roberts is still the chief justice, and he was the primary author of the NFIB case and has um, there been any number of challenges to the Affordable Care Act, none of which have prevailed on this type of a theory. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. The other thing is that in the in the case below, in a very, very unprecedented action, the Justice Department did not defend the Affordable Care Act. So typically, even if the um, party in power doesn't agree, with the original statute, they still they still agree to uphold the laws of the land. And in this case, Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, failed to do that and basically did not came in on the against the Affordable Care Act. Obviously, this is very looking further out, but with the conservative sway now of the Supreme Court, could this kind of have a negative impact on the Affordable Care Act? Maybe, but but they've already decided. Yeah. Um, and and the the fact that Congress took away the penalty and is not applying the penalty doesn't um, necessarily mean the underlying authority under the taxing power that they found in NFIB disappears. So I, I, I would be shocked if the United States Supreme Court takes the case and then um, unravels the entire Affordable Care Act, but stranger things have happened these days. Thanks for listening to the UNH Law Podcast. Learn more about us by visiting law.unh.edu or following UNH Law on social media. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire.